0: Imagine walking into a stadium filled with thousands of people cheering. The pomp and circumstance isn't just because the Olympic Stadium in London was holding the opening ceremonies, but also because Queen Elizabeth presided over it. In a twist here in 2021, we're about to begin the 2020 Olympic Games, however, this time there will be no spectators. Over 11,000 athletes are going to be there representing over 200 countries. We're going to compare this year's 2021 games with previous games with one of Charlotte's most accomplished athletes, Lauren Perdue Britt. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Barti here on the Carolina Outdoors, joined along with co-host Wes Lawson. This is usually where you say, come on in, the listening is fine, but I guess it's come on in, the water feels good. I'm in with that. Of course, water sports are always fitting during the summer. So let's go with that. Let's do that. (laughs) I introduced this as one of Charlotte's most uh, accomplished athletes. Lauren Perdue was already accomplished by the time she made the London Olympic team back in 2012. She swam for the Greenville, North Carolina Swim Club and won her first championship in the 200-meter freestyle at the 2009 USA Swimming Long Course Junior National Championships. Later, she won 19. That's 19, 1-9 ACC championships for the University of Virginia, 16 All-American honors, and was named ACC Swimmer of the Year. All of that before making the 2012 Olympic team, where she won a gold medal in the 4x200 meter freestyle. We're going to learn more about her uh, at our Jesse Brown's Storytellers Night event in October. But for now, she's going to share some insight into her Olympic experience back in 2012. Lauren, welcome to the Carolina Outdoors.
1: Thank you. Thank you guys. It's a pleasure to be on it with you guys. Well,
0: we are excited. We know that you're up in Asheville, North Carolina, which again is fitting for the Carolina Outdoors, a great uh, epic uh, outdoor town here in North Carolina, in western North Carolina. But Lauren, we're going to take a little bit of time to find out about your time in the Olympics. Of course, it was a different time back then, 2012. You had thousands of spectators during the opening ceremonies. This time, it's just going to be the athletes uh, who are going to be in Tokyo at the 2020 Games, ironically, in 2021. Um, Did you participate in the opening ceremonies there at Olympic Stadium in London back in 2012?
1: I did, I did, Bill, and it was probably hands down the most incredible experience of my life. Um, I had the opportunity to walk in the in the opening ceremonies. Um, you know, the swimming part of of the Olympics started, I think, you know, the next day. But my first event was not, you know, until a few days later. So, the coaches kind of gave us the option, you know, if we felt comfortable walking in the opening ceremonies and being on our feet for, you know, I think we were on our feet for probably six, seven, eight hours, Um, you know, they gave us the option um, to do it if we were swimming, you know, more than a couple days after that. So I'm so thankful that I did end up walking in it. Um, It was one of the most incredible experiences just walking out into the stadium, you know, with you know, all of the other countries, all of the other athletes participating, um, and then just, you know, the, the sound and you know, all of the cheering as you walk into the stadium. It's just, it just incredible. Well, and
0: we can hear, I, I, if you're walking uh, up in Asheville, something's banging on your microphone. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Oh, it, it may be your earrings.
1: Sorry, It's probably my earrings.
0: Or, Lauren, could it be that gold medal? <laughs> That's what it is. It could, it could be. because that's the next question. Do you wear that thing every day as you when you're at work? Because I would.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I we've got it um, in a very really secure location. Um, you know, for safekeeping, and it comes out very occasionally for special appearances. So well, and yeah, it it weighs quite a lot.
0: So. Oh, well, I bet it was. Well, I, I want you to tell us a little bit about when you do walk into that stadium. I know it was awesome, but what what makes it awesome besides the spectators that are there? There are over eleven thousand athletes that are participating in the Olympics back in 2012, as well as this year, 2021 um uh, would you give us a, a little bit of a, a flavor of how the community of olympians along with the spectators along with the media um make up the awesomeness of that experience
1: yeah absolutely so i think you know the most profound um thing for me just about that whole experience you was know, if you're walking with you know, like you said, thousands of other athletes from different countries, different backgrounds, different sports, these different beliefs, and you're all, you know, coming together, united under one roof, basically, you know, as the um, Olympic Stadium. And just, I mean, just the energy of the crowd, you know, it it really kind of set the tone for the games. And I think, um, you know, the athletes that have the opportunity to walk in the opening ceremonies, I think it kind of, you know, Gave them momentum going into their first event or race or whatever it is, you know, for their particular sport. So, you know, it was uh, just life changing. It was great.
2: You know, Lauren, most of us have to live through um, Bob Costas explaining what the Olympic Village is like (laughs) and what kind of what that experience is. But, you know, so we really don't see much of what it's like sort of after hours between events. What is it like in Olympic Village? Is it really just, you know, athletes in dorm rooms? Is there a lot of camaraderie? Is there rivalry? Do you never see one another? What's that really like other than what Bob Costas shows yeah. us every four years?
1: That's a great question. so, you know, it kind of depends on, on each country what their rules are um, for the Olympic Village. But for the United States, you know, we are so high-profile we we didn't even have um, so so a lot of the a lot of the countries had their flags on the outside of their dorms that people would know you know which dorm they were in. The United States didn't have that because we're so high profile. So um, you know that was kind of the first part is we were kind of there in secret almost. Um, and then the second part of that is you know because we're so high profile you know we've got to you've got to behave right. <laughs> you can't be coming back into your dorm you know, at 2 a.m. or whatever, like you, you've got, you're there to perform, right? You're there to win medals. So, um, again, I don't know what it was like for other countries, but we had a strict curfew. You know, we had to be back in our dorm room, you know, at certain times. And, um, yeah, but but once we were in the dorm, I mean, it was, you know, very strong camaraderie, you know, um, it, it was just, uh, it was a really cool experience.
2: You every so often we hear about some of the unique uh, dietary needs, wants, and wishes of athletes during the Olympics. And you know, Usain Bolt was, was known for having some chicken nuggets. I think it was Usain Bolt. It might have been somebody else. Chicken nuggets before a race. But are there any food rituals, or is it a challenge to to get your dietary needs? Because you're you're consuming a tremendous amount of very specific calories and carbohydrates and proteins. How do you go about doing that when you're traveling overseas?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the Olympic dining hall, the dining hall in the Olympic Village, you know, they they kind of tailored it specifically so that each country would have something that was familiar to them. And you can probably guess what the American, um, uh, you know, restaurant or, or dining of choice was while in the Village. Um, it was actually McDonald's. So um, it was pretty funny, you know, that Obviously, is not something you should be eating when you're competing. But um, once everyone was done competing, you know, the lines just to get a Big Mac, you know, were were you know, span the length of the dining hall. So, but I mean, as far as you know, pre-race rituals, I mean, it's you know, for me, I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't probably think too seriously into that. Maybe I should have, but you know, I just ate things that made me feel good and made me feel healthy and, and gave me energy and nutrients to, you know. To finish
0: a race strong so our guest is Lauren Purdue who is now Lauren Purdue Brit she was part of the 2012 london Olympic team the swim team she won a gold medal and we're celebrating this because of the 2020 games that are taking place here in 2021 in Tokyo Japan they're going to kick it off july 23rd it's going to go through august 8th Lauren, what do you think, like you were talking about the Olympic Village and a bit of the secrecy, you're talking, we we spoke a little bit about the opening ceremonies, just in your opinion, um, you're not going to be in Tokyo, but you know some of the participants, many of the coaches, I mean, you competed against them and have known them, seen them uh, grow in the sport. Uh, What do you think the difference is going to be um, without spectators there. Will it be a little bit more tame? Will there be uh, a less focus on the athletes or maybe where they're from and maybe what they're, what they do? Or will they be more um, uh, uh, with lack of spectators and more maybe media?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, you know, this has been a really odd year this past year, you know, with sports not having spectators at you know, NBA games, um, you know, NFL, whatever. I mean, it's it's just been, you know, kind of weird. So I, that's a good question. I know that um, part of what made it so exciting competing in London was, you know, the amount of spectators there and the fact that, you know, my family was able to be there watching, you know, just knowing that you've got a contingent of, you know, people in the stands that are rooting for you outside of your teammates. I mean, that's, you know, it's a great feeling and it's very motivating feeling. So, I think these athletes are going to have to kind of dig internally and find some, you know, intrinsic motivation um, within themselves because you know it's definitely going to be a different atmosphere. But um, I do hope, you know, with the media and every, I, I hope that they can kind of cultivate the the same sort of feeling that you know they had back in 2012
2: so would you want to swim in the olympics with a crowd of people cheering within their hearts from a distance virtually or would you prefer to have the audience (laughs) live and in person
1: i i mean i'm a very um yeah i you know i my motivation comes from you know external right like i i love you know being able to to um you know compete for my family if they're there watching and cheering so it definitely, for me, I would rather have you know my family and, and the thousands of people in the stands cheering. But, but I, I like that kind of pressure, you know, the the nerves that kind of come from thousands of people watching you. But a lot of people maybe don't thrive under that kind of situation. So it could be, I mean, this could be a good good atmosphere for some athletes that maybe you know don't thrive in in that kind of environment with you know, thousands of people watching in person. So. Um, although millions of people are watching on, on television, so um, still kind of a, not the same kind of
2: thing. You know? There is a little bit of a disconnect when we're cheering within our hearts from a distance virtually. You know, swimming is so, somewhat unique in that it's both a team sport and an individual contributor sport. How does that change the, the nature of the relationships and the camaraderie and the training versus pick a traditional team sport, basketball, soccer? You know, do, do, would you say that you also have the same kind of cohesion they do? Does it matter necessarily? What's that like?
1: It does matter. I mean, it's definitely, like you said, it's not, um, you know, it's more of an individual sport than, than, say, basketball. But, but you know, you do really rely on your teammates. I mean, for instance, you know, on the Olympic stage, each person, you know, for the most part, you know, they're swimming an individual race, rather than that be on – a relay as part of a relay leg like I was on or an individual race, but you're still contributing to the total medal count and the total number of points, you know, for the United States. So it is, I mean, every, you know, each person is part of the puzzle. Um, so I, I do think, you know, I I think that because of that, you know, it does kind of maintain, you know, the kind of, um, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're, you're part of a, uh, you
0: know, more of a contingent, you know, operating for, for the greater kind of good of, of the program, so. Her name's Lauren Perdue Britt, joining the Carolina Outdoors. Wes Lawson, I'm Bill barty Whether you're listening to us early on a Saturday morning via the airwaves of WBT radio as we blast up and down the eastern seaboard, maybe you're subscribing to our podcast, the Carolina Outdoors. No matter, we're glad that you're joining in and learning about this Charlotte-area accomplished athlete. And, Lauren, I'm about to – well, before I make you feel old, I'm going to wrap one thing up because we mentioned media coverage. And, of course, NBC owns the right. They have invested billions with the IOC to broadcast these games. Um, Many people in Japan, the host country, are upset because swimming is uh, going to be – Tape delayed or, or um, aired for the U.S. market for North America and swimming being very popular in Tokyo. Many of those people are upset. I don't know, did you know the popularity of swimming in Japan as well as the U.S. in your competition?
1: You know, um, that is not something that I was super aware of. Um, I do know, you know, swimming is, is one of the more popular sports. Um, I think Michael Phelps probably helped bring the popularity to the sport. Um, but, but, no, that's, that's – that's, um, I mean, it's not surprising to me at all, um, but,
0: but that's interesting to hear. Well, it, the, the part that I was going to make you feel old about is, of course, your games were um, just over eight years ago. Um, the youngest member of Team USA is a swimmer named Katie Grimes, who was in first grade when you were winning your Olympic medal. She is the youngest uh, member of Team USA for the twenty twenty one games twenty twenty uh, about to kick off here in July. Um, do you keep up with any of the of the swimmer, swimming team currently?
1: I do a little bit. So Katie, um, like you said, was you know I think she was fifteen maybe back in twenty twelve, and now she's you know one of the as you would say veteran Olympian on this new team. Um, and then there were a few others um, that I, I did keep up with, Mitchie Franklin, Alyssa Anderson, Alice Schmidt, um, Dana Ballmer, even you know, just to name a few. Um, you know, and, and swimming is such a small, small community, even just, you know, within the United States. It, you know, swimmers tend to know other swimmers. if You know, they're kind of at that level. So it was fun, you know, to keep track of them the past four years. And, and you know, I've always been rooting for them, you know, as they try and make their second, third, you know, Olympics. So it's it's been really fun to watch
2: this year. You know, I think um, deep down we're all pretty competitive people, and we would like to see that uh, medal count flash up on the screen throughout the Olympics. Do you think we're going to come home with the most golds again?
1: I sure hope so. Um, it's, you know, it'll be interesting this year to watch without Michael Phelps, without Ryan Lochte, without Nathan Adrian, you know, some of the biggest names, um, you know, in swimming, Natalie Coughlin, you know, Missy Franklin that, that aren't here this year. I, you know, I still think that we have a really strong team. And I think, um, you know, if anything, we're going to put up a really good fight. And, and I do I do think we're going to hopefully come away victorious Um Overall, it's swimming, so I've got my fingers crossed.
0: Well, it may not be the Olympic Games, but in October, we have an event at Jesse Brown's called Storytellers Night at Jesse Brown's. And, Lauren, we have just kind of skimmed your insight into the Olympics from London to this year's Games in Tokyo. But in October, you're going to take the storyteller stage to go a little bit deeper personally in into your athletic endeavors, your challenges that you had that we didn't get to discuss during this interview, but we look forward to that October 14th night to hear more and learn more about the Lauren Purdue Britt story. So um, we look forward to that. That's going to be October 14th, and we thank you for spending some time and shining some insight into this year's Olympics from your successful Olympics back in
1: 2012. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. It's an honor. It's always fun, you know, to, to talk to you guys. And, um, it's, you know, I'm talking, talking about something I love, which is swimming. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, we appreciate it. And we'll let you uh, enjoy that time. You, you're probably working, but still enjoy that western North <laughs> Carolina of, uh, town of Asheville. So off thank she goes. Up here. Thank you, Lauren. Off she goes. And, uh, Wes, off we go. Into the wild blue yonder. We'll be back, though, on the other side to wrap this thing up called the Carolina Outdoors.